Welcome to Going Back, 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 the sports history podcast with all the stories you need to know and some you don't. My name is Brian Gay, and with me here is my co-host, Tom Young. Hey, Brian. So each week, Brian and I will be discussing, or choosing a story, I should say, for this week in sports history. Um, So this week, we're going to start from January 15th to the 22nd. We'll also be covering some of the current hot topics in sports entertainment, all while drinking a few cold local beers and seeing where the night takes us. I like to be an informative person, so we're going to start here with a good random sports fact. I uh, found this on Twitter. Uh, follow him at Justin Ray Goff. Tiger Woods has the PGA Tour record for most consecutive cuts made at 142. John Rahm has the longest active streak at 19. <laughs> Based on past schedule trends, if Rahm keeps the streak going, he could break Tiger Woods' record sometime in the spring of 2029. Yeah, see, when you hear that, like, cuts made, I, you, I, I'm i not a huge golfer, obviously, but you don't really, like, you think cuts made is just kind of, like, getting past, what's that, getting past day two, basically? Yep. Yeah, you play Thursday, Friday, there's a cut of so some like, number. Yeah, so you when you... advance to play to the weekend. Yeah, so when you look at, like, the top golfers in the world, you think at least getting through the cut should be easy, should right? be easy enough, yeah. So, like, 142, you're like... Sleep. He's the number one player in the world. Yeah, 142, you're like, okay... Okay, great. Sorry, also, that's Rory. Rory's yeah. not going to play in the world. No, no. But Sorry, at the, Rory. At the time, Tiger Woods was the man. We all are all aware, very well aware. That's just one ridiculous stat of the bunch. But my thought is there's a couple things here. So one is you got to put in perspective golf. You can't, you can really only have 52 events a year because they only play on weekends. Right, Typically. Yeah, once a week. Yeah, once a if week. If you play and... Like this says, if based on his past schedule trends, he does not play every week. No. That's why you're seeing he could potentially break it come the spring of 2029. Yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. So, like, so 142 for Tiger. Next closest is 19. I feel like that's like well, the, that's the current longest active streak is 19. All right, yeah. So, but current active. That's like looking at Kel Ripken's Iron Man streak. And I imagine the closest current MLB streak is doesn't even sniff half of it. He's what around two thousand some games. Two thousand six hundred and thirty-two, I believe, something like that. My dad was a huge Cal Ripken fan, so um, that may be right. Cal Ripken, Nolan Ryan, I'm pretty familiar with their stats. Nolan Ryan's another beast, but did you check out that podcast or uh, Netflix documentary I on did. Nolan? I did. He's such an interesting figure because, like, you hear of him as just this fireballing, crazy hurling, like just monster of a pitcher. But then you also look at, like, his full career stats, and it's so bizarre because, like, he's made out to be so dominant, but it almost feels like he's, like, wild thing uh, from hey, so Major League. Yeah, so, like, his his stats are so crazy. Analytical guys today would not love him. No, his no. Would Anal- he wouldn't high. even have a career in baseball today because of how analytics-driven it is, and his analytics probably look horrible. But at the time, he's just so fitting of – his, I would say his era, but, like, the man played almost 30 years in the league. Uh, he's an era of his own. The amount of guys that came and went between, I think he joined, he entered the league in 68, I believe, with the Mets. Yeah, late 60s. And then he played through the 90s, or, like, early to mid-90s. So, if it was 68 and he played 27 years, would have put him up to 95. I was two. When he started in the league, my dad was three. So, like, that's just the sheer dominance. Well, not even dominance, just the ability to do that so long. Like the Tom Brady of baseball, except Tom Brady won a whole lot more in the postseason. Speaking of Tom Brady, how about these NFL playoffs? Uh, yeah, Brady looks cooked. 
Thank God, dude. I'm so sick of seeing that, man. I, I have mean, my own biases, but... Being a Bills fan, I guess that comes into play, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, being a 29-year-old Bills fan, uh, Tom Brady spent... Tom Brady just dominated you guys left and right for a better part of a decade. Yeah, dude. I don't, too. I don't know the exact, the exact record off the top of my head, but he's something like 31-3 and all-time against the Bills. So that would give you 34 games, which would be 17 years of domination. Um, at one point, he was the fourth most winning quarterback in Buffalo. In Buffalo. He doesn't play for the Buffalo Bills. Nope. Nope. So I passionately, passionately hate that man. I respect the heck out of what he's done with his career. I will admit he is the greatest of all time, but also fuck that man. He's creepy. He's weird. He needs to retire. I'm I'm done with it. I'm done with it. Now there's, but the thing is, it's not even, they're not even talking about retirement or staying in Tampa. It's like, okay, where's he going next is the new conversation. Yeah, it seems like he's going to have an active market. Uh, I think somewhere on the West Coast. I mean, I Brock, hope the West Coast. Brock Purdy seems to be playing pretty well for the Niners. They also have, you know, pretty large investment in Trey Lance. But as we know, Tom Brady, and they play that story up all the time whenever he plays them. He's from that San Francisco area. Yeah. And there's always that tie. He's going to play with the 49ers one day. Well, dude, dude's played 24 years in the league, and this is the... This was the first year he had ever played in San Francisco. 20-some-odd years later. And if there's ever a team that he could go and still be good at, I think. I don't want to say he's necessarily cooked, like I said a few minutes ago. I hope he I is. Think, I think part of that was just the offense. The offensive line was just totally beat up. Missing a few guys from last year. Starting center was out all year. Granted, that guy played last night. I just don't think he had much of a chance back there. It seemed like every game you watched with Brady and the Bucks, he was on the ground. More than half the time. Yeah, which at always four, getting hit. 45, 46 years old. Not a recipe for success. No, 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 not at all. I personally, I've been hearing a lot of different rumors about where he might end up. Um, the ones that I'm totally fine with are San Francisco and Las Vegas. I don't really care if he goes out west. I've also been hearing Miami, and I've been hearing the Jets. Miami, I just... They already tampered with him. They lost their first-round pick. Like, they shouldn't even be in the picture. If but Tua's he healthy, you can't bring in Brady over Tua. Yeah, what? One year one year of Brady over possibly having Tua. If I was Tua, I'd be pissed in that situation. Now, the Jets yeah, is... Yeah, definitely rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, Tua. the Jets is where it gets interesting because that is the marquee, um, the marquee location in the league. Granted, the Jets play New Jersey instead of the Giants. There is only one team in New York, and that is the Buffalo Bills. But... The Jets are in a perfect situation for someone like Tom Brady. They have built a really good young core, both offensively and defensively. It does pain me to say all of this. I think Robert Sale is a good coach. I like what they've done. They drafted phenomenally last year. And yeah, Sauce Gardner. I mean, come Shut on. down corner. Come on. The dude is unbelievable. I hate that he's in our division. I was hoping that he might somehow drop into the 20s to go to Buffalo, but I knew that would never happen. That was wishful thinking. Yeah, but I didn't think he was going to even be nearly as good as what he has been. But Tom Brady in New York, first of all, I just don't want him back in the AFC East. Yeah, and their uh, owner, he's come out and said he's willing to pay the price for a veteran quarterback. Oh, no, he will. Yeah, yeah. So I, think I just. Zach Wilson's a bust. One way ticket out of town. Bust, yeah. I don't care what anyone says. He is a bust. They swung too high for him. Um, they, I, it, doesn't, it makes me wonder if they got lucky drafting this year that their draft class was having to be really good or that like Sauce Gardner was a can't miss. Jermaine Johnson fell into their lap. Brees Hall, they did draft pretty high for a running back, picking him in the second. Um, he looked like a stud, though. 
Yeah, I was. Ha- uh, a lot of good fan- foundational pieces there. Never happy to see anyone get hurt, but like when he went down, I was like, all right, that's that's fine. The Jets were better than anyone I think expected of them this year. With yeah, they just got to keep building on that momentum. Yeah, when you pull it, what is it? You've also been pretty bad for a long time, so <laughs> yeah, you when should you be getting better as the, you keep having those high draft picks. Yeah, when you pull a seven and nine year and you haven't realistically had a good quarterback since I don't know Chad Pennington. And that's even <laughs> questionable. Mark Sanchez might be the best quarterback the you've had. Yeah, right. Um, I don't know. There's there's potential finally, but it's just one of those. The Jets are one of those teams that much like what the Bills had been for a lot of my life, where it was just like, you don't worry about them. But you had a competent, skilled winner like Tom Brady to the core they're building in New York. All of a sudden. That's a, that's a scary proposition, in my opinion. I don't like where that would head. Um, the AFC East is already very competitive as it is, and that's with the Patriots kind of being a dud but still managing to win games. Don't like it. It would be quite the interesting twist, too, you know, being a New England Patriots quarterback for the longest time. Seems like he's got a good relationship with uh, Robert Kraft, the owner, going back and sticking it to the Patriots, as Belichick seems to be. I don't know if he's losing his fastball or not, but it doesn't seem to like he's the same coach without Brady up there. He's not. I mean, 20 years together, you guys had literally better success than any coach QB combo ever. I think that special sauce is just never going to be what it was. It's always been one of those situations. Did Belichick make Brady? Did Brady make Belichick? Did they just work well together? I think the whole thing to me, though, of him, the idea of him going to the Jets just screams like Brett Favre when he went to the Vikings after being the face of the Packers for however many years, over a dozen years or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, say around 15. Then he goes to the Vikings of all teams. and He was with the Jets, too, first. Yeah. Yeah, I remember thinking everyone forgets that. But the, just that move, I think, to that, that rival. It'd be like, to me, if Josh Allen went and played for the Patriots down the road, I would uh, – I don't know what I would do with myself. Hopefully, for your sake, that doesn't happen. I hope not. I hope this man retires in Buffalo. I want him to build a statue of him out front of City Hall when he wins those five Super Bowls. And just kidding, I'll take one. I don't need five. I'll take one. Uh, <laughs> coming from an Eagles fan, I mean, happy with one. You don't need five. Yeah. Dude, you live in the moment. Speaking of Eagles fans, dude, let me tell you about this. So I, I went to pick up these delicious beers today. We are drinking, uh, what is it, double double dancing barefoot? Double, double dancing barefoot, yes. A double IPA from Animated Brewing Company. Here in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. They also have a location in Parksburg, PA. Delicious. It's yeah, very nice so far. But I was in the beer distributor picking this up earlier today, and I'm standing there in my Bills hat, you know, same one I'm wearing now, and I'm just standing there minding my own business. Next thing you know, I hear, man, when we see you guys in the playoffs, we gonna fuck you up. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What is uh, what? I turn around, and here's this man with his pit bull. Baby Pitbull, super cute dog, was really friendly and all that. This man is head to toe. You've seen the you've seen these guys everywhere. You've grew up around here. The Phillies leather jet, the uh, Eagles leather jacket, the hat, the pants, everything. Eagles. Acting like he's on the team or yeah, talking used to play for them. Yeah, talking like he's about to line up there at D end, like ready to go after the guys. But man, the amount of the amount of trash he was talking. Dude's coming up here looking like Marshawn Lynch, and I'm like, all right, I don't know how to. First of all, don't know how to approach the situation. I wasn't expecting to be talking trash today, but yeah, we gonna fuck you and your team up. He's like, but but for real, like I love. I think it's a great matchup, blah blah blah. But fuck you and this and that. I'm like, dude, that's like I, I've never felt like 
I've had a more Philly interaction in my life. I wasn't talking to this guy one bit. We didn't have any discussion before this. Minor in business. And yeah, he told me to fuck off. Like, told me to fuck myself like four times. All about the bills, but he was like at the this same is time. A kid show, remember, Brian? It's not a kid show, <laughs> but at the same time, was super friendly. And um, it's just like six years, six seven years ago when I moved down here, I would not have understand that. But that's that Philly mentality. Like, you just gotta. Now you know to expect it. Oh yeah, you learn to embrace it. I'm sure you probably thought you'd be asking for it wearing a Bills hat. Oh, I do. Yeah, you know, I do know it's coming to an extent. Like my neighbor across the street, she loves to. Loves to, to run her mouth, and we she loves to talk, and blah, blah, blah. Like, all right, you guys had a very similar year that we did. 14-3, and three, I think, is what the Eagles ended up. Yeah, the Bills are 13-3. and three. Yeah, three losses. So, like, sorry our guy tried to die on the field, but I probably shouldn't even have actually said that. But, you know, like, <laughs> that obviously threw things off, but you, you Eagles fans, man, you guys talk like you've already won the Super Bowl. Not you particularly, but, man, the hype around here is crazy. Um... Other interesting NFL news. Well, I guess maybe the playoffs in general have been pretty exciting. Um, that talking about games that. besides last night. Last night was a snooze fest. Besides, uh, <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, well, okay. Poor Brett Meyer missing. Four I was gonna extra say. Points. Let's talk about that. When's the last time you saw a kicker not just miss four kicks in a game, but four extra points? I can't tell you last time I watched someone miss more than two in a game. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen. That. It had never happened up until last night. Because I remember at one point they were like. No kicker has ever missed three kicks in a game in NFL history, or maybe it was playoff history. And then it was like he had one of those, like, hold my beer moments. Let me miss like, another one. Yeah, let's make it four. And uh, I feel for the guy. It, he's really lucky that it didn't matter. That they won handily without those kicks. Yeah, I'll be surprised if he's the kicker next week. Oh, yeah. There was a funny video going around. I think it was um, Jamal Adams showing up to the, the Jets. Um field house before he was traded to seattle and like his key wouldn't work or whatever yeah, doors locked yeah Can't and it was in. like dallas kick dallas kicker cop brett mayer when he shows up to the cowboys facility tomorrow and just him not being able to get in and i was like you know what like not wrong not wrong um yeah the chargers chargers jaguars obviously crazy i didn't even watch that game to be honest i was still recovering from the heart attack that was the bills game trying to blow that against the dolphins but I saw the Chargers were up big time. Figured nothing of it. You know, it's over. It was, what, 24 nothing at one point? 27 nothing. 27 nothing. But this is not the first time we've seen a huge comeback this year. The Vikings did it against, the, against my Bills. Granted, the Bills shot themselves in the foot, which I imagine is exactly what happened here. Um, and then it was uh, the Vikings have been the comeback kids this year. Yeah, that uh, big win against the Colts. Was that Christmas? UK? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Down largest three nothing. I think it was thirty one. La- largest comeback in NFL history. Thirty three nothing at halftime, and they came back to win it. But that's the crazy thing is the few games I've truly watched the Vikings this year, they've gone down big, every game, but then they claw back. They didn't matter Sunday back. though. No, so it didn't. L to the Giants. It really made me happy to watch them lose. To be honest, and not because they're the fakest. Yes, team this year. Yes, dude. They've like that's such luck having those comebacks yeah i don't even think that's yeah they come back and they play well to get back into the game but you almost have to fault the other team to an extent too to blow those types of leads yeah i would love to see the statistics on or the analytics on what what the probability is that they come back the way they did in so many games because it legit felt like every week they're losing they're losing they're losing they're losing how wait they won how 
And then yeah, you, you turn the game off. You don't even bother <laughs> to watch it anymore. And then you check your phone when the 4 o'clock game starting to see the scores. Wow, the Vikings came back and won. They were down 33 to nothing. How did yeah, that happen? And then goofy-ass Kirk Cousins is dancing on the plane with a chain around his neck and his shirt off. Well, like, that looked like three or four. Don't get Yeah, don't get me wrong, dude. I would be doing the exact same thing if I was in the NFL and I was winning games and I was a bum like Kirk Cousins. Because, man, watching that man play, throw the football, every time he leaves his hand, it looks like a lame duck. You assume it's getting picked off, but no, he's got Jay Jettas, Justin Jefferson, who I did not believe or understand the hype around until I watched him play the Bills. That man is phenomenal, and he makes Kirk Cousins look like an all-star quarterback. He's the best receiver in the game, hands down. Hands down, hands down. I didn't believe it. I just figured he was their whole offense, but then when I actually like truly sat down and watched him play, instead of just seeing the highlight of the one or two crazy catches he makes every week, and actually watched him play the game, that man is that offense. Crisp routes, strong hands. Yeah. Gets open when he wants. Good footwork. He's fast. He gets open. He demands double teams and still busts his way through them. And he's just unreal because there were so many throws in that game where Kirk just wobbled it up in the air. And you're like, all right, that's a pick or that's falling incomplete, whatever. And here comes Justin Jefferson from 30 yards away making some ridiculous one-handed backflip of a catch, and you're like, first down. Yeah, yeah, fourth and ni- uh, 19 or third and 19. Yeah, fourth and 19, I think it was. Granted, that bad play was on the Bills' defensive back. Cam Lewis swat the damn ball down. Don't try to pick it. It's fourth and 19. Game's on the line. Swat it down. Yeah, just hey, don't let him catch it, that's all. Yeah, that's it. Just don't let him catch it. I understand you want the pick for your contract negotiations or your stat line, but, like, you let the team down. You blew it. And you're going to be immortalized forever in the highlight tape of you helping Justin Jefferson make that ridiculous one-handed catch. So, we could talk about the current events in sports all day, Tom, but I think it might be time to dive into these stories here. Let's get to it. Um, You want to lead it off? Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. I'm curious to hear what we got going on today. All right. So, if I told you I was going to pick a story about some uh, guy who played in the NHL, only had 45 career games. Scored four goals, ten assists, totaling fourteen points. You probably think, um, what am I really doing here? Yeah, I think it'd be like a Happy Gilmore, like, oh, I tried to stab a guy with my skate, kind of situation. Yeah, you made it out of luck or something. <laughs> yeah. So, the story I chose, we're going to talk about Willie O'Ree. Um, he was the first African American to play in the National Hockey League. So we're going to start with a little backstory on Willie and wh- how he got there. So he started playing hockey at the age of three, then started playing organized hockey at the age of five. Next thing you know, he's playing junior hockey for the Kitchener Canucks of the Ontario Hockey Association. Now, while he was playing there, he was actually struck by a puck in his right eye. So this led to a break in his nose and cheekbone, and he actually lost 90 95% of his vision because of it. Sounds awful. Yeah, I mean, hockey players are tough, but like that's next level. Dude, hockey players are a different breed of tough. I mean, I've played a bunch of hockey in my life. If I got hit with a puck in the face, I don't think I'm going back out there for. Well, yeah, a you're while. you're not NHL tough. You're Delco roller hockey. Yeah, tough. Delco tough. It's it's a little different, <laughs> but <laughs> Delco tough could definitely translate, but almost no. same, but not quite. No, you're also not getting paid at least thousands of tens of thousands of dollars to do it. Unfortunately, not. Now, at the time, this was actually considered a career-threatening injury, and doctors actually advised him to stop playing hockey. Now, like as we were just talking, the stereotypical, stereotypical hockey player, he was back on the ice within two months. 
So according to NHL bylaws, players who are blind in one eye, they are forbidden to play in the league. So Ree, he actually couldn't tell people about the injury or it would crush his dreams of making the NHL. Now this has been a dream of his uh, for a while, dating back to when he was 14 years old and actually met Jackie Robinson. That meeting that he had with Jackie really drove him to strive to become an NHL player. So fast forward to 1956, where he's with the Quebec Aces. Um, this team, they actually formed a relationship with the Boston Bruins, kind of like their uh, minor hockey affiliate. So January 18th, 1958, Willie O'Ree then becomes the first African-American to play an NHL game, lacing them, lacing them up for the Boston Bruins in a 3-2 win against the Montreal Canadiens. That's wild. So, like, I've, I've, I've obviously heard this. Willie O'Ree is a very famous name in the world of hockey because of this. I did not know about being blind in one eye. It's yeah, hard, I had no idea either. <laughs> yeah, like, hard enough to crack the league. So, hard enough to crack the NHL as it is. Even harder to do it as a black man. Even harder to do it as a black man that can only see out of one eye. Yeah, so he actually would look over his right shoulder more or his left shoulder because he was blind in the right eye to make it easier to see throughout the game. Interesting. Wow. I mean, you got to adapt, and clearly he did. So while he only played two games that season, he was then sent back to the Aces. Um, when he was recalled by the Bruins in 1960, he stuck around for 43 regular season games. Now, on January 1st, 1961, he was the first African-American to score a goal in the NHL. So clearly his NHL career didn't last too long, um, but he did play 14 more years of professional hockey. Uh, he played in leagues from the Eastern Professional Hockey League, the Western Hockey League, and what most hockey fans know of today as the American Hockey League, otherwise known as the AHL. Well, so back then, actually, that was real. That's actually just as, almost as impressive as the NHL. Yeah. The, the NHL was not the, as far as I'm, as, as far as I'm aware, the NHL was not the defined top league at that point. Yeah, it was like leagues. the most probably professional of the bunch, but the American Hockey League, kind of similar to baseball, American League, National League, the American Hockey League was a, in its own teaser. right. What do you say? There's a teaser. Yeah, right. Was uh, <laughs> as much as the uh, NHL was a major pro league, the AHL was as well at the time. Um, they just, I think, the NHL started going into bigger markets and and things like that. Um, so yeah, good for him. Fourteen years and seeing only out of one eye. So as his career prolonged and he kept playing, uh, he was actually able to keep it going by switching from left wing, which was his natural position, to right wing. And he actually found immediate success with the change. So in his first season at right wing, he scored a career-high 38 goals. Because he was blind in which eye? His right eye. So he found success as a right wing? Yeah, so you'd be seeing all right, all right. down the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So this move to right wing wasn't something that he had thought of. It was actually the coach of his team, of the Los Angeles Blades. Um, the team just was very weak at right wing that year. So his coach actually moved him from left wing over to right wing. Seems like that's one of those uh, decisions by the coach that worked out for him. So, okay, so it wasn't actually with his eyesight in, no, it in mind. It was just out of necessity, necessity for the team. Necessity for the team, yep. Hey, well, I guess shout out to that coach because it worked for Willie. Now, fast-forwarding to after Willie's career, he's been very uh, instrumental for the game of hockey. He's actually turned in, into quite the ambassador for the game. The NHL actually hired him as their director of youth development and an ambassador for the NHL's diversity program starting in 1998, and he still serves in that role today. I knew he was still involved to some extent. 
That's crazy, because uh, how old would he be these days? Do you know? He was born in 1935. 35, so that would make him 87, turning 88 this year. Wow. Yeah, I hope I'm still doing big stuff like that at that age. Dude, I'm just like, I want to make it to like 70 and I'll be happy. Anything yeah, after give me that 75 is, and... Yeah, anything after that is smooth sailing, so... Well, with modern medicine today, like 150 isn't out of their own possibilities. Dude, I mean... Ricky I Bobby? We, yeah, I would say we don't... I don't even want to dive into that conversation, because I don't know if I'd want to live that long, but hey, we'll... we'll See if we cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah, if we get there. So some f- some fun facts here about Willie O'Ree. Um, he was actually inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2018. Now the city of Boston, um, they actually declared January 18th Willie O'Ree Day in 2018 as well. And then in uh, just last year in 2022, the Boston Bruins they retired his jersey with a ceremony at the TD Garden. So the number 22 will never be worn by another Bruins player. That's pretty cool. That's really cool to see. It's crazy that it took so long for that to be, like, acknowledged in this manner. I mean, I know, obviously, like, race relations are a very touchy subject in this country and throughout the world. But it's crazy that it took this long. I mean, it's been decades. Yeah, he's been out of the game for a while. Decades since he played there, and he's finally getting the recognition he deserves. I know I've only started really truly hearing his name over the past few years as he's been getting honored by the league and by the Bruins in Boston. As a whole, has a pretty dicey fan base. Yeah, fan base passed with with um, racism and segre- and segregation and whatnot. A lot of pro athletes have said Boston is one of the a lot of pro black athletes have said Boston is one of the hardest places to play because their fans are pretty rough. So, like the fact that the first black NHL player was in Boston of all places, it, it's crazy to me to see, but it's really cool. Um, that and that, that it was that long ago. I mean, hockey is a notoriously non-diverse game for sure. Nowadays, you're seeing so much more of it. Yeah, whether thanks it to Willie O'Ree with the yeah programs without he's created, he's created about forty across the United States and Canada. Oh yeah, without him, strong, we wouldn't. We probably wouldn't see. I mean, because I I remember growing up like the guys I remember seeing Kevin Weeks, uh, the goaltender Anson Carter. Yep. Uh, big one uh, as a Sabres fan, Mike Greer. Um, we had a guy named Sean McMorrow that came through. Mike Greer could chuck him with the best of them, right? Mike Greer was actually what, obviously he was a very good, like physical player, but he was, uh, just, I mean, he, he had put a good career together and I believe he is now the GM of the San Jose Sharks. Yep. That sounds right. So like, I mean, the dude has done a ton. We're seeing guys of other ethnicities and backgrounds coming into the league. Jason Robertson right now is absolute stud killing it in Dallas. And I believe he's Filipino, um, or he has Filipino heritage. Um, Ethan Bear um, is an indigenous Canadian. Uh, I don't remember exactly which tri- um, tribe his background belongs to, so I don't want to like mislabel anything. But I know he's indigenous Canadian. We've seen a number of Asian players come through over the years. It's just really cool to see that. Grant, hockey's a tough one. It's not that it's built to keep other people out, but it is just it's a bit prohibitive at times, mainly due to cost. I always wanted to play hockey, but my parents always were like, no, it costs too much. Yeah, I was in the same boat. Yeah. That's why I played roller and not ice. <laughs> That's fair. We played street hockey. Uh, shout out, grab a whole lane growing up. We played street hockey all the time. Um, loved it. I, like, I've like i always been loved hockey. I mean, grew up in western New York, huge hockey area. Um, kind of a hotbed. I mean, Brian Gianta and Ryan Callahan, just off the top of my head, came out of Rochester. My Hometown, Honeywood Falls, New York. Uh, Marty Reisner. So you got Alex Tuck. He's a Buffalo guy, oh, right? Yeah, Alex Tuck. I love Karen to see Saber. that. I like. I love Alex Tuck because, like, I love how happy he is to be playing in Buffalo. And, like, if I was a pro athlete, specifically football, like, I would do whatever it took to be a Buffalo Bill. 
because that was just like has been a dream for me from day you know day one to run out of the tunnel in those colors um but yeah back to what you were saying though willie o'ree really set the bar for uh a lot of people and and provided a, a role model i think for underrepresented communities within hockey i know back in the 70s the sabers had bell james they just recently um recently honored him i believe yeah sometime in the 70s uh, he was the first black player to play for the the sabers and it's just i mean they're still underrepresented within the sport but um i definitely think that without people like that especially doing it back then it's just um totally different day and age too yeah, I can't even imagine, you know, just knowing what the world was at the time and what the the environment looked like or surrounding that is and, and to go out and do that in a sport that is really, truly, especially at the time, was 100% white. Well, one thing I learned doing this, um, doing the research on this topic, it wasn't even really national news. And since the game was in Montreal and he was playing a lot of his junior hockey in Montreal, so people knew him. So it wasn't made that big of a deal since he was already familiar the Montreal press and media was already familiar with well, him. Yeah, and Canadians are days. historically nicer. Shout out Canada. Everything I've heard is they seem like pretty good folk. Pretty friendly, pretty welcoming and accepting. I mean, I know everywhere has their... Yeah, I'm sure. Has their people, but... You know, it's just really cool to see. Um, so, shout out to Willie O'Ree. Um, without him, we wouldn't be... I mean, we probably wouldn't Eventually be where we're at. There, but who knows how much longer it takes. Yeah. So what what was the year again? One more time. It was early when he first played. Yeah, uh, nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, January eighteenth, nineteen fifty eight was his first game. Unbelievable. So that is seventy, almost. I mean, sixty five years ago. Sixty five years. No, that math's wrong. You know, sixty five years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, be sixty five years tomorrow. Wow. Well, unreal. Um, ho- hope to see. It continue to diversify. I, I love hockey. I know you do too. I hope to see it become more accessible because I feel like the more um, people you can throw at it, the more talent you can provide, the more athleticism that can be on the ice, just the more fun it's going to be for everybody. Um, and the game just keeps, now today, just keeps getting quicker and quicker. So Oh, yeah. You it love to see keeps it. keeps getting mean, quicker. It keeps Connor evolving. McDavid. It's an underappreciated sport as a whole here in the States. So I, I know Alex Ovechkin, he's on pace to break wing Gretzky's uh, goal record. Which would be just massive it will be but yeah. i mean i think you got to look at what Connor mcdavid's doing too i think he's there's no one he's like building him. up a pace to go past what ovechkin's gonna break that's yeah that's Co- my theory on it i think he he's an absolute stud you, uh, you get the guy in open ice good luck stopping him he'll uh, he'll go four on one one on four i should say and <laughs> still say, score a goal and some of the highlights of him just like dancing his way through defenses is just like unlike anything you've ever seen i and the, he's one that I've I've always I mean I think anyone that pays any attention to hockey knows what's going on with Connor McDavid because he's just so fun to watch. But that dude, that was the Sabres that year had the number one the top chance at the number one pick. And it was like, holy cow, we could get McDavid. And franchise altering. Dude, yep. Yeah, Granted, uh, they haven't won anything I was gonna say, with them. They claim franchise altering, but look where Edmonton's at. But at least they'd have someone that's just incredibly fun to watch. Every time he's on the ice, yeah, you so know where 97 is at. all the time, too. You know where he's at. Yeah, I'd be rocking a McDavid jersey right now. Because who we got instead, another another phenomenal player, but no McDavid. Just didn't pan out. No, didn't pan out. And I think that's a lot of the part. We can dive into the whole Jack Eichel situation somewhere down the road. 
I loved Jack Eichel. Um, I hate the way it played out. I think that there was it was mishandled on both sides of the conversation, but probably mainly on the Buffalo side, on the, the Sabres organization side. Yeah, you got to pay your top stars. But man, I've been I was rocking that fifteen. I hated when he changed to number nine because I had to. I didn't get a new one, but yeah, you can't. But he was in his expensive real quick. It took him longer to get into to come into his own in the league and be. He's never been as exciting to watch as McDavid, but there Tough is to replicate that. I know nobody is. Yeah, I'm not even honestly. Watching highlights of Gretzky back in the day, like yeah, he was good, but he doesn't look. It's honestly, it's way more fun to watch what McDavid does than what it was to watch what Gretzky does because a lot of times he just looked kind of stiff, and you could see the goaltending looks stiff and. That fluidity, the same athleticism, at least doesn't translate onto the video. No, it doesn't. And I know some old head purists might be like, you're ridiculous. You're telling me McDavid's better? I'm not. I just think he's more exciting to watch. It's so electric anytime he has the puck on his stick. Yeah, he's just more athletic. I mean, yeah. it is what it is. Wayne Gretzky seemed like a stud, too. Wouldn't have been uh, nice to watch growing up him play. But I know, I know. I remember using him in like uh, I think it was At Wayne like Gretzky '99 on the like NHL 2000 or something. Oh yeah, dude, he was a cheat code. He was playing for the Rangers at the time, and uh, at least the one that I specifically remember, I believe it was was an N64 game. But you just like my brother and I would play, and not only did you get Gretzky, you got Messier too. And it was one of those like where you got Lethal to pick combo. Yeah, you just got to pick like three guys and play with those three. And I think would Brian Leach have been on that uh, that team as well? Should have been with Mike Richter and Ned, I would believe. Yeah, what a freaking squad, right? Uh, well, we can definitely do- hockey. I think will be a conversation here in the next couple months. Uh, with this time of year, um, fighting this week in sports can be yeah, a little challenging, a little challenging. But mine is an interesting one. Uh, we'll dive into this here. Um, this takes place on January eighteenth, nineteen ninety six, and Tom, it pertains to a sport that you and I know both love dearly. Uh, we're talking about Major League Baseball. This is not a baseball podcast. I know that we've, <laughs> although the logo may look a little baseball heavy. We do love baseball, though. We do love baseball. We're going to touch on all sports. Absolutely. Tom and I have been to opening day together for the Phillies. Uh, we'll probably be back there again this year. I was looking at tickets right. today. They're not ready. They're not available just yet for single games, but, you know, I'll be buying those when the time comes. Yeah, I don't think I've told you this yet before you get into that. Uh, my wife, she actually got me a Sunday game plan for this upcoming season. So, virtually a season ticket holder for the Sunday Sunday games this year. As a <laughs> I should have married a doctor. As Just a Christmas and uh, <laughs> birthday gift combination. So that's awesome. Shout out Danielle. Um Love I guess you, babe. Yeah, right. Shout out Danielle. I think we might be going to a few Phillies games together. Um most likely. Yeah, so I uh, love the Phillies. I think they're doing a lot this year. Love what they've done with the bullpen, love what they've done with the lineup. I mean, Trey freaking Turner. I feel like we'll do a whole Phillies special or something when yeah, we we'll get, get closer to opening day. I mean, spring training is a month away. Yeah, we can. We'll get on opening day is like two and a half. We're well, coming up quick. The story I'm going to talk about pertains very heavily to the league even today, even though this is from January 18th, 1996. January 18th, 96 is when baseball owners finally decided to break with more than a century of tradition, and they didn't unanimous, unanimously approved interleague play. They did. They did unanimously. Yes, it was a unanimous decision finally in 1996 to take place in 1997. The idea was for 1997 to be a trial run year. I'm guessing there was a lot of pushback before the unanimous. Uh, yeah, decision. so exactly. So the idea of interleague play was actually first uh, proposed in 1933. Wow. By Never would have guessed that. <laughs> right? Yeah, 1933. 96 is when it was finally approved. So 63 years w- had passed between the initial um, initial proposal, which was Bill Veek, 
uh, the for Chicago Cubs owner from back back in the day. Yep. Uh, very famous name in the world of baseball uh, baseball lore. But he was the initial one to propose it. Um, he was ahead of his time, clearly. Very much so. And that, yeah, very much so. And then it was vehemently denied, totally shot down. It was not again proposed until 1973, which is it was proposed at that time because the American League at that time also adopted the designated hitter in 1973. So part of that conversation was, well, let's combine the two then. Obviously, the NL did not adopt the designated hitter until last year was the first year of the full-time DH in the NL, right? Yeah, this past year. And so if it wasn't for that, yeah. Phillies would have struggled mightily. Bryce Harper. Yeah, oh, my played. God. Shout out Bryce Harper, MV3. That dude is phenomenal. Uh, must watch baseball every time he's at the plate. Can't wait for him to get back this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. that Having him in that lineup and in that locker room is just a complete and utter game changer. I think it's going to be great. Um, so... The National League rejected it. At the time, for a long, long portion of baseball history, the American League and the National League were all part of Major League Baseball, but they really just functionally operated as two separate leagues. I would say they basically viewed themselves as separate entities. Didn't yes, they? they were basically separate entities. They viewed themselves as two different leagues. Um, it, a lot of it was based off of, uh, especially early on, was based off of location. The American League was a lot of the East Coast teams. I mean, a lot of... Early Major League Baseball was East Coast and Midwest. But ob that's more to do with just the expansion and the growth of the U.S. as a whole. Um, so the big thing was that the the big, the the big biggest argument against interleague play was how does that impact the two big games of the year? The All-Star game used to be a massive spectacle because it was the top, uh, well, I mean, top nine guys and then bench from both sides competing in the middle of the year. Yeah, it was wasn't the every team needs a representative. Yeah, I think no. that was a thing, no, right? It, no, there was no requirement that every team needs a representative. That definitely feels like it's a more of a this generation, this century kind of thing where everyone needs to be represented. And it's like the participation trophy of All-Star games because um, there are definitely teams that don't deserve an All-Star. Like if you're just getting a random middle reliever yeah, into like the game because you have nobody else, how can you, you tell me this year's upcoming at Oakland Athletics, after shedding all their payroll the past two years, deserve an all-star? They might. I mean, if someone Who knows? Goes, if someone goes out and performs, sure, give yeah. it to them. But, like, your payroll is about $30 million or so for the year. Bryce right. Harper makes about that much <laughs> per year. Like, Yeah, I know. It's Multiple guys got paid that much this offseason yeah, for all, a yearly basis. Yeah, screw the ownership of the A's, uh, the Pirates. Um, those teams that they have awesome loyal fan bases who are just sick and tired of the awful product being put on the field. I went to school outside of Pittsburgh. I know a lot of Pirates fans growing up, and I really feel for them because at least the Bills ownership of the Bills ownership moved hands and started trying after twenty something years. Well, Ralph Wilson on the team for fifty plus years, but the Pagulas took it in the right direction. The Pirates, the A's. The Orioles are starting to turn around a little bit, but the Pirates and A's are the two big ones I can think of. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays, they don't spend a whole lot. See, either. the Rays don't spend a lot, but they draft and develop well, and they maintain their own guys. And if they could just combine that with some spending from ownership, yeah. you're looking at the absolute powerhouse even more than they already yeah. are. So it's un it's unfortunate to see um, see that all happen, but you know, if you can't put a decent team on the field and you don't have one guy that like truly you're like, a, he should be an all-star. You don't deserve to be on the team. 
So going back to this, before this all happened, whenever every team needs an all-star, the all-star game really, not only was it a huge spectator event. Yeah, it was a big draw for the fans. But it was also had serious implications on the season as a whole. Because the winning team and the all-star team, their representative in the World Series got home field advantage. So that's why there's the very famous clip of uh, Pete Rose tearing around third base and absolutely, absolutely obliterating. He destroyed that guy. The catcher. For an all-star game. Well, yeah, which we look back at that and we're like, dude, you're in the all-star game. What are you doing? But the thing is, that was a good Phillies team, and he knew if they they won that all-star game. I believe he was a Philly at the time, wasn't he? I believe so, yes. It was a good either good Phillies or a good Reds team because he was on a number of very good teams over the years. Um, he knew that home field advantage in the World Series was on the line. And so he said, I don't care. I'm putting my head down. I'm taking you out. I'm scoring that run. Um, was that what? Ray Fossey, I believe it was, that was on the receiving side of that right. hit. Um, but either way, it meant something. Nowadays, nobody cares. Guys pull out of the game left and right. Yeah, nobody cares. On Sunday, you're definitely not participating. <laughs> yeah, you're not showing Tuesday. up for the All-Star game. Um, but then the other thing is that um, the other big argument against interleague play was that the, it, they thought that it makes the World Series less of an exciting event because there was only there was only one time a year that you might see these guys go to head head to head like like 1986 you're watching the world series because daryl strawberry was going head to head against a young roger clemens and it was like one of the greatest hitters at the time which really random name that i pulled out strawberry but he was phenomenal at the time and he was he was on the doing well for them yeah total stud and a young roger clemens i mean pre-steroid clemens and even steroid era clemens both phenomenal pitchers and you only got to see that in the World Series. There was never – you didn't get to see that otherwise. Same with, like, 1980. You got to see Steve Carlton go head-to-head with, like, George Brett. And at the time, that was massive. It was worlds colliding. It was superstars that you didn't expect to see um, going head-to-head. I'm sure it made for a better draw, but, like, why would you not want to see that on a daily basis? So, exactly. And so that's where I think the um, – the people that really wanted to see interleague play introduced—that's where that was their argument was, okay, but why shouldn't we play more games against each other? There's so many stars out there. Like imagine today's game only being able to see Shohei Otani in that's, the World Series if they make it. That's and the hilarious. Angels haven't made the playoffs in how many years now? Yeah, because that's exactly that's exactly what I was thinking. Because I, you know, living outside of Philly here, I was really fortunate this past summer. I got to go see the Angels who were in, Angels were in town. I got to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Yeah, I saw them a couple years ago when Trout was in town. And, like, that's just so Made cool. Sure I got to go Granted, see him. They both sucked that day, which sucks. But, like, dude, it's Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. You can say years their game. Yeah, 25 years ago, I would not have, that wouldn't have happened. So, the big proponents for, so there was a couple things that came into play with the addition of interleague play. And one of which is that. It was 96. 1994 was the strike. So, Major League Baseball was in a really bad spot come 1994. So, they were trying to do whatever they could to generate more revenue, more butts and seats and whatnot. So, from a spectator's point of view and for like uh, from the economic side of the game, interleague play made a ton of sense. You get guys traveling around the country, getting to do cool things, play different people. Same with juicing your uh, players up and turning a blind eye to it. Listen, I will 100% stand behind the steroid era because we grew up in that era. Chicks dig the long ball. And it was the greatest. I don't care what anyone says. So fun. McGuire Sosa, the, the home run uh, race they had. 
Barry Bonds and the way he would turn on that ball and freaking, oh, my God. I don't care what anyone says. The steroid era was great for baseball because it was it dying it otherwise. Yes, it was dying otherwise. So it was great for baseball. Um, so with um, the integration of baseball, or the, not the integration, that's a lot longer ago than that. It wouldn't cover so that, the, inter- <laughs> the integration of, of interleague play, at least, into baseball. Um, initially, it was just for 15 or 16 games. Like They were like, we just want a little bit. And I, I honestly, that's how I remembered baseball being. I kind of fell out of touch with baseball a little bit later in high school and early in college just because of personal decisions when it came to the game after playing and whatnot. I kind of like just fell out of love with it for a little bit. I came back to the game and it was always like, all of a sudden it was like, wait, why are they playing each other so often? Because 2013 is when they introduced like what we know now for interleague play where these teams constantly play each other. And it's kind of just like a normal part of the schedule. Yeah, like this year the Phillies open up in Texas against the Rangers and then they play the Yankees the next series before coming home. Yeah, which kind of... You never would have thought about that then. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, But at the same time, like, I get it. I get it. And it was just like the... It ended up being a really huge step forward for baseball. A lot of... There were some other big things that kind of happened in that same era like in 1993, the National League expanded with the Marlins and the Rockies. Um, Let's talk about a tragic year to be a Phillies fan. <laughs> yeah, that Joe Carter home run. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's painful. Um, but yes, yeah, so they added teams, and then the strike, and then they were like, "All right, what can we do?" So interleague play made sense, and honestly, I'm here for it as a fan. I think it makes a lot of sense. I do understand when people say like, "Oh, it watered down the All Star game," and it the World Series isn't. Uh, the World Series is still awesome. Still awesome. But, like, I get the All-Star game, but what other sport does the All-Star game mean anything? None. None. I mean, S- NFL, they don't even have a game anymore. They no, f- it's like skills competition, and flag football and stuff now. So Something they got this year they just added. They're going to do a longest drive competition. Yeah. So, I think that's I think that's fun. I think it's yeah, a better idea be when there's no actual consequences up with the game at all. I think that is great. And, um, I you know, make it fun, but... And allows to show like how good of athletes they are or not good when it comes to hitting a golf ball. Sure. And it's just kind of fun to see those guys that you watch out every week doing their thing in non in other situations where it's not where it's more than just the football. So um yeah, I'm a major, major fan of interleague play. Um I've been very fortunate to get to see teams from all over, um, growing up in a baseball family and now living outside of Philadelphia, uh, a lot of Phillies games. And just getting the, the opportunity to do that, see guys you wouldn't be able to see. And I think it's so, to some extent it would get kind of old playing the same teams all, all the time. Yeah, I don't want to see the Phillies play the Washington Nationals 30 no. times a year. I want to watch – I do want to watch the Phillies and Mets go head-to-head six games in a row in September. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> but, but, like, I also don't need them to go play 25 times between April and, and, and August. No. I'd rather see them go duke it out towards the end of the season. Have more meaningful games. Yeah, so I think it's really cool that that it took this long for the um, for interleague play to happen. I mean, Major League Baseball was founded. I mean, it took about uh, it took 126 years between the formation of Major League Baseball to the integration of interleague play into the um, into the league. And shout out Bud Selig. Um, <laughs> I know that's like that steroid era. People don't love him for that, but I mean, he was pretty innovative in what he did with the game, and inter- um, getting interleague play through was pretty huge. So, um, I think it changed the game as we know it, obviously. And uh, yeah, so January eighteenth, nineteen ninety six, the 
landscape of Major League Baseball changed, in my opinion, for the better. Yeah, I would agree with that. It seems like January 18th is a pretty uh, significant day in sports history. Yeah, well, you got Willie O'Ree. Uh, you got his first game. You got the impl- uh, implementation of Major League Baseball. And hopefully you got the release of the Going Back, Back, Back podcast and our first episode, January 18th, 2023. That's the plan. Get it on uh, all the streaming websites. Check out Spotify. Going to put it up on YouTube, too. Absolutely. So, uh, Tom, we still got uh, about 10 minutes available here. What do you uh, – there's obviously a lot of football going on this week. What, what playoff games are you keeping an eye on? Is it anything – obviously the Eagles, Eagles-Giants is huge being here in Philly and divisional. Anything else that's got your eye? I mean, uh, being, you know, an Eagles fan here, seeing what Doug Peterson, former coach, can do against the Chiefs and his protege, Andy Reid, I think it's going to be a really good, really good game. Uh, I saw saw a stat the other day, Doug Peterson, I think he's been an underdog in most of the games he's been a coach in the NFL. And he's managed to, I should say, in the playoffs, and he's managed to win most of those games where he's been a betting underdog. I love me some Doug EP. I... Personally, don't I did not agree with the Eagles letting him go. I didn't think he. I didn't think it was. I think he deserved a little bit more of a leeway with that. Yeah, I mean, he just won the Super Bowl. Yeah, they fired him. What the? He got one season after the Super Bowl, and then they let him go. Or was it two? It was two. Okay. He had, he had one year. They lost in the playoffs. Nick Foles came in again. Carson Wentz got hurt. Um, seems like a broken record with those two. I can see why. <laughs> you know. Both yeah. are no longer in yeah, town. Yeah, but is that, I mean, we can dive in. We'll have plenty of time to talk about this. But is that not more of like a Howie Roseman issue so much than Doug? Doug was doing what he could with what he was given. I think Doug's hands tied. We're tied a little bit throughout yeah. his tenure as coach. I mean, I think one of the, f- after it was announced as head coach, like the first time he was allowed to have a press conference wasn't like right away. They didn't even allow him to talk to the media at first. No, I know. I mean, he's more of a football guy. It didn't seem like he knew how to. Really handle nah, the media. Dougie P is he was he's such a Philly dude that like Rob Thompson is for the Phillies. I mean Dougie P, you could see him at a cookout in freaking Havertown. <laughs> you know, yeah, he seems like the guy's got his Coors Light, had uh, about ten of those, playing bago and grilling dogs and burgers on the grill. Yeah, get him a cheesesteak with some ketchup and fried onions, and uh, he'll be on his way. Yeah, you know, I think. So th- this weekend's going to be interesting. Obviously, I'm super stoked for Bills Bengals. I, I the fact that it worked out this way after the way that game was canceled. Um, have obviously very happy here. Demar Hamlin is out healthy, good to go because that was unbelievable. Shout yeah, out quite to frightening. Yeah, and shout out to not only Bills Mafia but the football community as a whole, raising over seven million dollars. Wow, for last I saw was at four. I haven't checked any updates. Over that's impressive seven million Almost dollars. Doubled. He. Had a goal of what, like twenty five thousand? Twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred wakes up to see seven million dollars in that fund. And I just that that's phenomenal. It just shows that it goes beyond that beyond football. There that's are why I love sports, honestly. Like I feel like it connects you. I feel like it's a way to get away from you know, real life from time to time and sports are great. And that's why we're doing this podcast. We both of us have a big passion for sports and oh, yeah. we want to bring bring our passion to all you listeners out there. Um so hope you all enjoyed the, today's episode. We're going to keep it going here, talk a little more playoff <laughs> football. But, um, yeah, Bills-Bengals should be a really good game. I yeah. don't see why why it won't be. Unfortunately, the Bengals, they have a couple injuries on their offensive line, though. Should make it a little bit Fine. easier for the Fine with me. Bills front four. But then again, you know, the that I- those injuries would be a lot more enticing if we also weren't down Vaughn Miller. Um, I yeah, mean, that's a key, there's a key s- member of that defense that's out for you. Bills pass rush is fine right now, but 
I mean, Von Miller just kind of took it to another level. Yeah, because he takes a lot of attention off of the other guys. And the rest of our, most of our other DNs are young. You know, our Greg Rousseau, shout out to Groot, massive, super athletic. I think he has a great career ahead of him. Young, second year, I believe, for him. AJ Epinesa is a third year. Boogie Basham slides in and out. Uh, Shaq Lawson's been around the block. He is actually back in Buffalo, but I digress. I can go on about the Bills all day. I think Bills-Bengals is a great matchup. I'm a major Joe Burrow fan, although Josh Allen is my boy. Um, I think the AFC is going to be just so much fun to watch over the next 10 years. Just because, Watching I mean. those two dual, two dual plus Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. I mean, Justin I mean, Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. The list dude. goes on and on for uh, young quarterbacks in the AFC. Uh, Trevor Lawrence can put it together. I mean, he, he's only 22, which is crazy. So, the other guys we're talking about are 24, 25, 26. Mahomes is the oldest quarterback left in the AFC. For he's right been now. in the league for, what, four years now? Maybe five? Yeah, dude, that one pains me still. 2017, he was the 10th overall pick. Only reason I know that is because the Bills traded that pick to the Chiefs. We traded back. We did get Tredavious White, who has been great for us. And yeah, I had a really good quarter there. Honestly, Mahomes wasn't even projected to be a top uh, um, first-round pick. Yeah, I think he was projected to go by the third. But that just shows you what Andy Reid knows, something that we don't. Andy's a very good coach. I Yeah, dude. I I hate – I love – he's one of those guys you, I love it. I love him, but I, I, he pisses me off just because of the way he does that. Um, fun thing I wanted to touch on, though, is – there are four teams left in the NFC. Three of those teams are NFC East teams. So you don't ob- see that very often. No. So, obviously, you got the, the Eagles. You got the Giants, who, shout out to them. I don't think them beating the Vikings is as big of a surprise as some people are letting on. No, I like the Giants to win the other day, too. Yeah. You know, I think. Like th- we discussed earlier, they seem like a, the Vikings seem like a bit of a fake. Yes. Yeah. Really the, good record. I think Dale is a good head coach. Team there. I think that he is helping. Daniel Jones quite a bit, figure himself out and be more comfortable with who he is. He did that with Josh. I watched that in Buffalo. But then also that defense looks pretty good. Um, they, Thibodeau actually looks like he might be the real deal coming off the edge. Dexter Lawrence has turned into an absolute stud in the middle. And then they got their bits and pieces around the outside that are doing just enough. And then last but not least, you got that third NFC East team, the Cowboys. Who wants to talk about them? Nobody, dude. They're Granted, they made Brady look bad last night, but which is so always a lot nice. Of other teams. Yeah, Brady's not what he used to be, but also I, I'm not an Eagles fan. I don't really have a reason to, but I can't stand the Cowboys. I hate Jerry World. I hate the whole America's team. Win, win, win. The Cowboys, I, I can't stand them. I never, never liked them. Never I see the Forty ers dismantling them this weekend, which is crazy to me because again, the Forty ers are a team that. They're being led by Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy. Um, granted, he's not looking so re- irrelevant these days. Yeah, it looks very good. <laughs> Shout out to Kyle Shanahan, making him look but like a very yeah, good Yeah, dude, whatever they're doing there in San Francisco is dangerous because they're scoring 38, 40 points a game. I mean, you get talents like Debo Samuel. You acquire Christian McCaffrey midseason. You got George Kittle at tight end. Brandon Ayuk coming oh, into yeah, his own dude. now. When, he looks very good. I mean, it's a very formidable offense with a very good offensive line. And that defense is just top-notch. Yeah, dude. When, uh, when they acquired McCaffrey, I think we all knew he was on the block. I did not anticipate San Francisco of all places. Yeah, that was the last team I expected you to, know, I know there was to some, grab him. Yeah, dude. There were some rumblings about McCaffrey to Buffalo. There um, was just some because talk about him to Philly, too. Yeah, dude. Two running back needy teams. Oh, I, no, Philly's not running back needy, and neither are the Bills, to be honest. The Bills I was hearing, obviously, because I'm, you know, again, Bills fan, but there's a really serious Carolina connection. 
um, with McDermott and Brandon Bean both having come from Carolina. The Bills have brought in former Panthers time and time again the past five, six years. It just seemed like it made sense. Um, it didn't bother me when McCaffrey went to San Francisco, though, because it doesn't directly impact the AFC at all. Right. Uh, unless you see them in the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> unless you see them a couple weeks from now, and then it's like, all right, hold on, what's going on here? So... I guess we'll see, man. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming up in football. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming from the Going Back, Back, Back podcast. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Uh, six, uh, what, what's been, uh, we've known each other six years now. Been talking sports at least that whole time. Um, very excited to be diving into this sports history, getting out there. You know, shout out to anybody that's going to tune in and listen to us. Love to hear what you guys want to hear. Let us know what stories you want at Got Back Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You'll be able to catch us on YouTube and uh, probably Facebook at some point, too. Yeah, we're going to put something on Spotify as well. Yeah, Oh, yeah. Well, so yeah, you'll, like you'll be able pages, to catch all the episodes. Subscribe, on. listen. We yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, you'll be able to catch all the episodes on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming out, checking us out. We'll be back next week with more stories from the week of January 23rd to the 30th. Yeah, just one last thing. Uh, here's a tip for everybody, all of our listeners. Uh, don't smoke in bed. All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Peace out.